Welcome to episode number 131 of the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media and presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. And today we welcome in the guy who's at the back end of the bullpen of the hottest team in all of baseball, at least not named the Baltimore Orioles because the Seattle Mariners are right up there. We're catching him in the midst of an 11-game winning streak. Paul Sewald, how are you? I'm great, Chris. I am great. We are uh, we're rolling, so things are pretty good around here. I know. Things are really good around here. By the way, that is a hell of a picture behind you, man. That is so, it's so nice what the Motel 6s are putting in their rooms. It, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. This is just, you know, it's a perfect thing to wake up to. This puts you in a great mood. Maybe that was what got us the W. Maybe everyone has this picture in their room yesterday. That was perfect. Well, if that's the case, then you know you're going to have to pack that in the overhead compartment the next time we move. They have my credit card. They have my credit card on file. I'll just, you know, when I check out, I'll just walk out with it. Okay. I appreciate you doing this. So we're, we're taping this on a Friday, a couple days before uh, the all-star break. Do you have the open championship on so that you can keep an eye on it? I know you're a huge golf guy. I have it right over there. I'm trying to focus on you, Chris. So I was watching it before. Take it, take a minute to do a little podcast with you. I'll get back to it. That's okay. Well, no, no, we can do this together because I'm actually, I don't know if you know, I, I used to cover golf for a living. So 20 years ago when I, I started out at Fox sports, they asked me, they said, well, how much do you know about golf? I was like, listen, every Sunday during cer- certainly during the fall, the NFL would be on one TV. And then the last round of the golf tournament would be on the other TV that we would bring into the room. Perfect. And they were like, okay, we want you to start covering tiger worldwide. I was like, I'm in. So I covered his streak of the tiger slam. I was at St. Andrews when he won his fourth straight major and was kicked everybody's ass by eight shots over there when he went 19 under. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you right now. Yes. So you get it. You get it. You get the golf obsession that I have. Yeah. Um, who's the most famous golfer you have been paired with? Ooh. Um, John or celebrity Rom. or John whatever. Rom is John Rom's probably the best golfer. Uh, my wife is friends with the person who taught him English at Arizona state. My wife and him went to Arizona state at the same time. So got to meet him. And, uh, and that's probably pretty cool. He's, he's a pretty decent golfer too. Holy shit. Now, when you play with John Rahm, you got to play for money. You're both pro athletes, right? Well, I mean, he's a plus seven when you think about it. So, I mean, he's almost got to give, he's almost got to give half the, half the hole is a shot to me. So we did not play for money. I just really, when I played with him the one time, I just wanted to, I like, I just want to watch that. Like, that's all I want to see. And what did you learn? First of all, what are you, what's your handicap? I'm a three, three and a half. And for people that are not golfers, that's pretty damn good. That's it's pretty good considering it's not my job. It's yes. You know, but I have I have the off season before I, before we had my daughter. I could practice a lot and I got pretty good. And now um, it's all about playing every once in a while. But uh, I, I had a lot of time on my hands come come baseball season. Or okay. Come so what did you season. what did you learn from Rom? I didn't really learn anything. I was just jaw dropped, kind of like watching. Like, okay, that's that's what it's like to play on tour, uh, and I'll never get there. That's pretty much what I learned. Well, what was like, do you remember the best shot? Cause I, I used to, my analyst was Mark McCumber who won, I okay. think 11 times on the PJ tour, uh, including the players championship, I believe in like 1988 or something. And he hit one shot out of the rough, you know, from like 202 yards and got it within this close to the cup where I was like, come on, dude. 
it was, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to, it was long par five where, you know, where it's kind of like, all right, I'm just going to try and, you know, I'm going to hit a ball up there and then I'll see what happens, see if I can get up and down for birdie or, you know, worst case scenario, I can get par. And he's just kind of, he's kind of taking a look and he's trying to think of like, all right, there's a slope there. So I need to hit it this and hit it to about three feet from about two thirty. And I was like, okay. So he was just taking dead aim. Like he had a wedge in his hand from two thirty. It's like, okay, that's, that's what that's like. When you're playing with one of the best golfers in the world and in your job is to like close out games against the best hitters on the planet. Do you get nervous? No. So I get nervous before I go in there, you know, leading up, leading up to whatever inning I'm going to get in there. I'm, you know, I'm nervous. I'm nervous for our guys. I'm nervous for the team. I'm nervous about, you know, the outing. And then once I get in there, it's just kind of like, you just get in the zone. And I feel like that's, that's what the best athletes in the world do is they just, they get in their zone. And once they get there, you know, they don't think about anything other than, other than performing. Chris Rose rotation presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. So I need you to follow a few simple instructions. First of all, you take your phone, you download the SeatGeek app and off you go. So they can get you tickets to your favorite baseball game. If you want to do a little shopping early for the college football or the NFL season or NBA, or right now you want to go to your favorite concert, see your favorite musician, whatever it is, SeatGeek can help you out. And the thing I love about it is that they rate every ticket on a scale of zero to 10 to make sure that you're getting a good deal. So it's kind of color coded on top of the numbers. Green is good. Red is bad. You've heard me talk about that. Like you could end up sitting next to me and that's probably a red seat, you know, because you don't want to sit anywhere near the Roseman. Green seat, you could be sitting next to Jimmy or Jake. That's probably a really good thing. On top of everything else, when you download the SeatGeek app, and you use it for the first time, and you use the code word ROSE, you're going to get 20% off your tickets at SeatGeek. That is right. That's 20 bucks off your first purchase with the promo code ROSE. So make sure you click on the link in the description, and you download the app, and then you're off to see your favorite baseball player that maybe you heard interviewed on the Chris Rose rotation. See how it all comes together, courtesy of SeatGeek? So if I had a camera on you, innings one through six, what does it look like? There's some pacing. There's some pacing going on in the bullpen. Um, there's a lot of trying to distract myself by talking to the other guys about anything other than baseball, maybe um, until, you know, right about the sixth inning, everyone starts to start moving. They start doing their warm up. They start stretching. They start kind of focusing in first five. You can kind of catch us, you know, relaxing a little bit and then six, six to eight or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm always moving. I'm not really sitting down very much from six to eight. So I, you know, I have Trevor May as part of the rotation. Um, you know, I've had a bunch of guys from the bullpen on the show. And they're always like, yeah, we just come up with the stupidest games or like movie lists. And so like, what do you bring to the party for the, for the bullpen convo? You know what? I don't, I don't necessarily, I just try and, I try and stir the pot a little bit and everyone mm. knows that they can, they can get me fired up too. Like, so every. I like to stir the pot, but then everyone knows that they can get me a little bit overly fired up as well. Um, so I, it just depends on what kind of day. If if I'm going to be the one getting other people riled up, or if or if they think about it before I come out to the bullpen. If you know I'm getting my workout and I come out in the third, and they're like, and they had already talked about getting me riled up on a topic, they'll get me going. Well, so what what riles you up? So the latest one was our fantasy football. Everything, everything seems to come back to fantasy football, doesn't it? Of course, it, it does. So I had I had to be the commissioner last year because it felt like 
because it felt like no one wanted to take initiative and fantasy football is one of my favorite things in the world. So I was like, all right, let's, you know, let's get it started. Let's get it started. I tried to get a group text going. I got like no feedback from anybody. Everyone was kind of silent. It was just, it was hard to get things done. So then I started, I was like, all right, then I guess I'll just make the rules to the league. Like, like, I'll just do this. Like no one, if no one's, I gave them free forum, please let me know. Do you want ESPN, Yahoo? What are we like? What are we doing? Do we want how many teams the playoffs, the whole thing? Couldn't get any feedback. So I made the rules. I did. That came back to bite me. And I said, I'm absolutely not doing commissioner this year. I said, we're either not having a league or I'm not or somebody else can be the commissioner. We can't not have a league. I'm sorry. You cannot have a major league team and not have a fantasy. I agree, but it's not going to be me being the commissioner. I don't like the responsibility. Listen, this is this has become a full blown topic with the yes. Tommy Fam Jock Peterson incident. Like you could, you know, you could probably feel Mike Trout's pain. I do. I I felt it a little bit. I felt it inside. Like I understand what it's like to be a commissioner with annoying Major League Baseball players. I get it. Is it who's the guy on the Mariners who thinks that he can be an NFL GM? Uh, who? You know what? I, I'm going to say Barucky. He he's been he's been running his mouth a little bit about his fantasy knowledge the last week or two. Um, he's new to the squad a little bit. He's only been here a month and a half or so. Uh, but he in his in his hello to the team. That was one of the things he talked about was his fantasy football uh, extraordinary knowledge. So um, I would say probably probably Barucky would be our best NFL GM. Are you uh, where do you finish in this stuff? I'd be pretty close. I'm a huge, I'm a huge fourth place fantasy guy. So I get to the semis, lose yeah. the semis, and yeah. So I, I know a little bit, but then not enough to to pull through. So I don't think I could be the actual GM of a team. Um, watch out for my guy Winker up there. Now he's gonna draft every if he's on this team, if he's on I already know he's taking every Bills player, so he's gonna everyone. reach every Bills player. We already know that's gonna that's gonna help me. At least I know that ahead of time. You know, if they had if they had uh one in Kansas city and then beaten Cincinnati the next week, he was going to stay at my house for the super bowl. I can't imagine having that guy as a house guest during super bowl week. Yeah. Breaking tables left and right. That's true. (laughs) Nothing with four legs around here. Even my dog would have hit nothing. You know, that's, that's pretty much the way it goes. So you are from, you grew up in Las Vegas, correct? Born and raised, born and raised. Yep. It's kind of hard to be – I can't imagine you're a Raiders fan, are you? I'm a, I'm a Los Angeles sports fan because that's – both my parents moved to Las Vegas from Los Angeles. So I'm a Los Angeles sports fan because that's who my dad likes. So it was uh, Lakers, Rams, Dodgers. Um, used to be the L.A. Kings. Now I, act, I did take the Golden Knights when they moved, obviously. We, you know, that was our actual first team. And then um, the Raiders kind of – I didn't. I haven't taken in the Raiders and haven't gotten to a game. Kind of, and then I'm a Rams fan, so things have been going pretty well for Rams fans. So I'm not going to say Legions at any point. So, um, grew up in LA, LA person. That's that's who my dad likes. All right, now that's that's fair. I mean, like my kids have grown up in Los Angeles, but they're Cleveland fans through and through because dad poisoned them at birth, which is which is <laughs> fine. So when they go on this Super Bowl run a year ago, is it even though you're a pro athlete, could, did you get geared up? Absolutely. I mean. If you talk to any pro athlete, when they're not when they're not talking about their sport, they're just as much as a fanatic as all the people that you know are on my Twitter and Instagram messaging me about the Mariners. I'm I'm just like that about the Rams and and uh, JP Crawford and I were texting back and forth about you know 
how well they were doing. And it was, uh, it was pretty fun to watch. So when you grow up in Las Vegas, um, and then you make it to the big leagues and you get a chance to pitch in Dodger stadium for the first time, you get like, you have to take a, a deep breath. Do you get behind the mound and go, Holy shit. I'm like really here. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So I didn't pitch in the first game of the series, but Clayton Kershaw did. And that, you know, obviously that was, you know, pretty cool for me to watch. That was uh that was a pretty surreal moment going to Dodger stadium and Kershaw was going to pitch against us. I was like, this is, this is something I only dreamed of. This is very cool. So yeah, first time out there, I got out there in a blowout, which is kind of nice to kind of like, all right, this isn't a one run game. I can kind of like take it all in. And, uh, uh, that was pretty, it was pretty fun. Pretty exciting. Um, so Las Vegas. And when we talk about baseball, there's basically three names that come to mind. It's Bryce Harper, it's Chris Bryant, it's Joey Gallo. Yep. Now I know you went to college with Bryant. Yep. But I mean, you, and the ages are fairly similar. You might be a smidge older. So I'm a couple years older. I'm two years older than Chris, three from Bryce and four from Joey. So Joey and my brother grew up playing on the same travel teams and we're in the same grade um, in high school. Bryce was three years younger than me, but Brian, his older brother and I are the same age and grew up playing together. And then Chris, Chris's older brother and I run our very, very first little league teams ever. Um, so I guess I've known Chris since he was four, I guess we were like six right about there. Um, so we, Vegas is such a, it's, you know, it's grown to 2 million people, but it's still such a small, small town. Everyone who grew up there knows everybody, especially in the baseball circle. So either played against or with anybody who's from Vegas, pretty much. And at what age did you know Bryce Harper was going to be Bryce Harper? It's been a long time. I want to say, gosh, maybe he was like seven or eight. He was already better than all of us that were on our 10, 11-year-old teams. It was like, well, should we get this seven-year-old to be on our 10-year-old team? Because he'd probably be our best player. <laughs> um, so it was, pretty, it was pretty early. Everyone could kind of tell Bryce was, Bryce was a little different than everybody else. What was it that you saw when he was seven where you were like, holy shit, we got a prodigy on our hands? I mean, when you're, when you're like nine, ten, you're trying to get your first homer out of, you know, out of the field, a real homer. And it's like, all right, I, you know, I got one in batting practice. I might be able to get one in game. And he like does it in games like all the time. And you're like, aren't you, aren't you seven? Aren't you eight years old? Um, so that was probably, that was kind of when you, when you're hitting bombs at literally out of little league stadiums, when you're seven or eight, that's, that's pretty darn impressive. And then what is it like when you face those guys professionally? It, it's always a little, you know, it's kind of, it's a little uncomfortable just for a second. You kind of think about like being a friend and then you kind of, you know, you just have to lock it in at the end of the day and, and try and try and focus on what you can do. But it is, you know, I, I give a little smirk. It's, it's always funny to see those guys. It's just, it's like, you know, we're back to being seven and eight, and nine years old at, you know, our little league field. And, you know, it's crazy if you'd have told us, you know, 25 years ago that we'd be facing each other, you know, at T-Mobile Park or, or City Field. It, it's pretty funny. Well, so you end up going to college in San Diego. And a couple of years later, here comes Chris Bryant. Was he the stud of all studs when he showed up? So, you know, it was, it was funny. So he was an athletic All-American. I convinced him to go to school, convinced him to commit to USD. And, you know, it doesn't take much convincing. It takes about five minutes down at the campus to realize that's where you want to go. Um, you know, and there was this, there was this huge, are we going to get him because he's going to sign out of high school. And, you know, so when he got to campus, everyone was pretty darn excited. And 
you know, it's funny. He, he didn't have like a great fall. It was just kind of like, all right, he's just, you know, he'll be, he'll be one of our best players, but he's, you know, he's not a superstar. And then, you know, he hits 25 homers as a, as a freshman. And it's like, okay, that was, that was pretty darn impressive. And then he comes back, then he comes back his sophomore year with that widened stance. He, he struck out a lot, but he hit a bunch of homers and, you know, his freshman year. And it's like, okay, like the potential is very there. He went to the Cape and struck out a few times. And then he came back with that widened stance and just stopped striking out and only hitting homers. And it was like, okay, we have, we have the best player in the country on our team. And that's, that's a pretty nice little thing to have. More of the show coming your way. But first I want to tell you a little bit about these guys, Shady Rays. Hey, if I look this good in a pair of sunglasses, imagine what Shady Rays can do for you. In fact, every pair features high-visibility, polarized optics, high-quality, durable frames, and my favorite aspect of them, they're backed by lost and broken replacements. That means that Shady Rays is going to send you a brand-new pair if you lose them or break them, even on day one of your purchase. Shady Rays, is, in fact, is changing the way that everybody wears sunglasses. They're offering the best combination of fit and style and performance without that big brand price tag. On top of that, when you buy them, it's going to warm your heart probably thinking, Rose, what are you talking about? That's because Shady Rays provides 10 meals to fight hunger in America with each and every order. In fact, today they've donated over 20 million meals to date. That's impressive. Unbelievable. On top of that, if you don't love them, and I haven't met one friend that I've turned on to these Shady Rays, you can return them for free within 30 days. That ain't bad. Oh, yeah. One other thing. I want to save you money. You'll get 20 bucks off of each premium pair of polarized sunglasses at shadyrays.com with the code word JOHNBOYAS. That is the code word JOHNBOYAS, as in all star at the end. Get 20 bucks off each premium pair, shadyrays.com. When did you realize you had a shot at making it into the big leagues? Was it sometime during your college career where you were like, I can do this at the next level? <sighs> You know, I always thought I was going to be a major leaguer. I maybe had that like naive, you know, boyish dream that, you know, of course I'll be a major leaguer. It's, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do. This is what I'm going to do. Um, so then I always thought that. And then I got to minor leagues and I saw there's a, there a lot of really good players in minor leagues. And there were, even though I pitched really well, I kind of had a few doubts that I was ever going to get there. And, you know, I didn't get put on the 40 man roster for a couple of times with New York and kind of thought, well, then those are really my chances and they don't they obviously don't think I'm a major leaguer or they'd protect me. And so there were some doubts there for a couple of years in, in 15 and 16. And then, you know, when I, I almost made the team in 17, Sandy Alderson said, it's just a numbers game. And, you know, I had heard that before and I kind of was like, shrugged it off. I said, okay, I guess I'm going to play AAA for another year. And then, you know, I'll figure out what I'm going to do after that. And two days into the two days in the AAA season got called up. And that was pretty much the very first time I knew I was going to be a big leaguer because they told me I was going to. When, do you still remember that conversation? The the call of conversation or the yeah. yes, I remember. So we're in El Paso, Texas, and I'm down in the bullpen, and they call down in the fifth inning, and they're like, "Hey, Paul needs to come down." And I, I just had, I just hadn't even thought about it. I was like, I, "Why are they even calling me down into the dugout in the middle of the game?" Like, I, I, I just was kind of confused. I was like, "All right, I guess we'll see what happens." I get down there and and uh Pedro Lopez the manager and then Frank Viola was a pitching coach who I had had for three years um they both shared the news with me and it was it was pretty darn exciting to call the family right did you say Frank Viola yeah he was my he was my pitching coach in low a and then two years in triple a it's pretty good for our younger audience Frank Viola yes. was a bad bad man in the 80s he was a he Cy Young it. winner 
He was a world champion with the Minnesota Twins. He pitched with the Mets. He was really good. Yeah. he. If you look at his numbers in the 80s, he is as good as anybody who pitched in that decade. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. So what was the first phone call you made? Uh, first phone call was to my fiance at the time, my wife now, uh, to let her know that, you know, we need to figure out how to get her to a flight and then call my parents and um, then call my brother. It was, uh, those were pretty fun phone calls. Everyone was pretty darn excited. You could, tears? you could feel the energy on the other side. Were there tears? Yes. Lots of tears from everybody, from everybody. It's good. It's emotional. It's like, it's something I had worked for, for, you know, 25 years. And, you know, my parents had put in a lot of, a lot of baseball travel over the years and, and sacrificed a lot for, for me to, to get this opportunity to do it. And so, you know, it was, it was very emotional and we're all very excited and, you know, I can't thank my parents enough for that, you know, but hopefully, uh, hopefully now the, the many games that they've gotten to come to, I, I think makes it a little bit worth it. But you know, this, that listen, what, wherever you make your major league debut with whatever organization, it's your major league debut. It is your moment. You make it with the New York Mets. That is a different world. They don't, they don't care about it being sentimental. They don't care about it being the happiest moment of your life. They're like, screw you. You better get people out up here. MF, right? Yes. That was probably that actually that was probably the only game that I didn't get a lot of flack from fans for not having a great game. That was probably the only time they gave me a break. Very first one, they were okay. And then uh from then on it was a little tough. How tough was it? You know, it's just I they're very passionate fans, and I don't blame them for being very passionate. That they take they take their fandom super seriously, and I appreciate that. And I wish I had been great in New York because I would love to know what it's like to be great in New York. Um, you know, our teams weren't as good as we had expected. We were coming off two playoff appearances, and then my four years, we you know we didn't make any of the playoffs. So, you know, I think they were frustrated, and and you know, I didn't pitch very well while I was there. I'm not you know I'm not naive to that. I I had moments where I pitched really well, and but I had some situations that weren't ideal with you know coaching and changing arm slots and that whole thing. And, um, you know, fan fans watch the games, but they don't know necessarily everything that's going on behind the scenes of getting sent up or mm -hmm. getting called up, getting sent down the whole thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that I didn't pitch as quite as well as I had hoped there, but you know, I'm happy to be doing it in, in a Mariners uniform. Well, you got a chance to get back there this year. And there was obviously that big video of you putting your hand to your ear and all that sort of stuff. Um, do you regret doing that or was that just, was that something that needed to be done for you to not, not necessarily exercise demons, but just exhale, if you will. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, I don't regret doing it. I don't regret doing it at all. Um, you know, fans have been letting me know. I mean, Mets fans are very passionate, but they're, they're a little petty still, you know, they still come after me plenty. Um, even though I've been in Seattle, I'm 3000 miles away. We're not in the same division. Even last year, they still had plenty of things to say about me. Um, and you know, I hadn't, hadn't any, been anything but grateful for my time in, in New York. And so I just, you know, just wanted to let them know I heard what they said and, you know, it didn't bother me and seven up, seven down at City Field this year. And it was pretty fun. Um, can that drive you? I mean, for some guys, I imagine if they hear the noise too much, then it can go the wrong direction. For you, does it really fuel you? It can definitely go the wrong direction. I feel like as soon as I saw the schedule, last September and I knew we were coming in May, I was pretty excited and ready, ready to come back to City Field. It was great to see a bunch of people that I really enjoyed working with, you know, um, teammates, 
friends of the staff, the whole thing, you know, security guards, people that are just amazing people that were great for four years. So it was great to see them again, but it was, you know, I was very motivated to come back and, and show them that, you know, this is, this is who you had that we just couldn't, we couldn't get it lined up with the right analytics, the right coaching, the right situation, the whole thing. And, uh, but it felt good. It felt good to come back for sure. No, good for you. I'm happy that that that's turned out well for you. And now you found a remarkable home up there in Seattle, which at the beginning of the year, you know, guys were in it until the last weekend of the year season ago. And so we're like, okay, they're going to rely on a few new, new guys, some young pitchers that are coming up. This team could be in contention. And then the first six weeks, of the season sucks. And we're like, what the, what happened to the Mariners? Were you guys looking at each other? Like, Come on, this this can't possibly be happening to us. No, I mean, if you think for most of the most of the team this year was part of that team last year that was about as bad as we possibly could be in the last week of May or the middle of May, right when I got called up, you know, we got swept by the Tigers and and no hit for the second time in a week. We went to San Diego and looked like a double A team against the Padres, and you know, we kind of just had a team meeting and kind of said, okay, let's. Let's take it day by day. Let's go up to Oakland. Let's play well. Let's see what happens. We kind of got on a roll there. So most of the team was there for a bad beginning and a get hot throughout the season. And, you know, frankly, losing Mitch was just kind of like, it just took us a second to kind of figure out that we weren't going to have our best player for the first half of the season. It kind of had to, had to get people acclimated to being in different spots in the lineup. Um, you know, we had some new faces, Gino, Jess, Frage that are, you know, new to new to Seattle, trying to get everything settled. It's, you know, it's an adjustment period for those guys. And I think they got a little bit adjusted. And now, you know, we had three East coast trips followed by, you know, just a week at home in that span. It's just, our, our schedule was very tough and we just, and we weren't, we weren't playing really well. We just, we're struggling in the bullpen. We're struggling hitting. If we hit one day, we'd blow the lead as a pen. If we pitch really well, we wouldn't hit. It was just, just one of those stretches. And when it's at the beginning of the season, it's very mag magnified. If you have a bad July after having three good months, people don't really worry about it. But if you have a bad May or bad April, bad May to get started, and it looks like you're 10 games under 500 and you're not a very good team who had expectations, you know, people blow it out of proportion a little bit. And nobody in our clubhouse did. And that was the most important thing. And now we're rolling. You guys are definitely rolling. Do you guys, do you feel the pressure of having the longest playoff drought not only in baseball but in north american sports i i even hate bringing it up all the time because i i'm like god the people of seattle they don't deserve that but facts are facts it's unfortunate uh i don't think feel the pressure i feel like all of us feel like i want to be on the team that breaks that streak that's what i would say you know most of the most of the clubhouse that's how they feel like seattle fans are so incredibly dedicated to their teams even if we've been a loser for 21 years, they still come out in droves. I would, I would be so excited to be a member of a team that breaks that streak because you would be Seattle famous forever. And so I think that's mostly how we think about it. Have we heard that before? Yes, we've heard that before. But most of us just want to break the streak more than anything. So you're saying I'm not the first guy to bring it up, Paul? You're, you're not the first person that's told me that we have the longest active playoff drought streak in sports. Man, God, I really thought I did my homework on that one. Felt great about that one. Jeez. More of the show coming your way, but first I want to talk to you about baseball card collecting. That's right. It has become big-time business yet again because everything circles around. And the most trusted name in the baseball card collection world, Greg Moore's Cards. In fact, they sell over 80,000 sports cards each and every month. 
I'll save you the math on that one. It's about 2000 per day, and it happens exclusively on eBay. In fact, GMC sells baseball cards from every era. So if you're looking for those old-time ones, pre-war, they got those, post-war, modern era, it's all there. So you're probably asking yourself, why do people trust GMC for buying cards? Well, Greg Morris and his team, they hand grade each and every card that they sell. So buyers, they've been trusting Greg's grades for years. If Greg says the card is mint, guess what? It is mint. So I want you to go to gregmorriscards.com to check out their entire inventory. In fact, GMC wants to give you 10 bucks in free cards just for hearing about them here on John Boy Media. So go to the website. It is gregmorriscards.com. Find out the card you want. And if you win the eBay auction, message them with the code John Boy to get 10 bucks off your order. You, you mentioned something very quickly, but I think that it's important for fans to understand. The travel in Seattle is a motherfucker. It's incredible. Like, I look at the miles that you guys travel. How exhausted are you at, like, this point of the season? We, to give, peop- to give fans an, understand- to, uh, an understanding of what it was like, we got back from, what trip was that? We went to Baltimore, Texas, Houston, and then home. That was in early June. We had already traveled more miles than the Reds were going to travel all season. In the first two months versus six months, we had already traveled more than the Reds were going to travel all year. We have oh. two teams in our division that are 2,500 miles away and two time zones away. It's straight bananas, and there's nothing we can do about it. But I think it was – that's part of the adjustment that I say with Frazier, Wink, and Gino. Those guys were just like, what is going on? All we do is fly <laughs> East Coast, turn around and come back for a week and fly to the East Coast. and you know, just the way the schedule was, was fixed. We, you know, we play the NL East this season. And so there's nothing you can do. We had to play Washington. We have to play New York. We have to play Miami. And so those guys are just on the schedule. And we, for the first three months, they really hammer us with those trips. And then, you know, it's a lot better in the, in the second half where we, you know, we stay with Anaheim and Oakland and stay a little bit closer, but yeah, it was, uh, it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment for people. Um, you know, you have to get really comfortable on a plane flight. So that's just the way it is. And, um, it was a tough first couple of months with it, but I think I think once we've gotten through that, most we feel a lot better about you know our travel in the second half. God, I mean, what do you do on planes? You can only play so many cards and stream so many shows. And can you sleep on a plane? Because I am not a sleeper. You can only play so many cards. I've never heard that. I thought you could just play cards all the time. Well, until you run out of money, like the way I play, it's a short-lived game. Oh well, you know, flexing and I win every time, so I guess I don't. It's just an ATM sort of thing. Oh, really? Oh, you guys are the you guys are the ballers on the plane, huh? No, we we play in the we play in the mediocre game. There's some people that play in the high stakes game, but we play we play some casino at the front of the plane, and we enjoy it. We enjoy it. I like I like to consider it as just an ATM. It's not really gambling if you know you know every time you fly you're going to make some money. So um, it feels good about it. No, that's a good that's that's a good. I I want to know who's in the um the high stakes game. Who do you, one of your guys, who do you think's in the high stakes game? Well, Winker's definitely in it. There you go. There you okay. go. Winker. Gino. Is Gino, is it? Gino's huge, huge. And he comes, so he comes back from the middle of the plane into the front of the plane and starts to get us riled up. Like, oh, you, that's all you're playing for? Like, come on, let's, let's, let's play a little high card. And it's like, Gino, go back to your side of the plane. We right. feel comfortable in our, you know, our little game. Just enough, just enough to make me mad if you lose, but not enough to make you sweat. 
that's our game. And he comes in, he tries to push us around and, you know, just go back to the middle of the plane. It's okay. Yeah. It's easy when you've got a $60 million deal. Like, yes, yes. You start throwing around money that it's like, well, you know, that makes me a little uncomfortable. Gee, why don't you just take it back to your side of the plane? Yeah. Let us pitchers who it took a little bit longer to get to the show. Let us, exactly. you, know, you know, we've made exactly. a nice living, but we'll just play for dollar bills here. But, you know, we don't need to play for, you know, people's days worth of, uh, of contract, you know? Yeah. See, now here's what you do. You invite uh, Julio Rodriguez into your game and take his future earnings. You don't want his money now. Just say, I'll take a percentage of your future earnings. That's a, that's a pretty good plan. He's usually resting on the plane, but maybe I'll have to wake him on the way back. I think that might be a good idea. I think that might be a good idea. What do you see that we don't about him? I think the, the thing that stuck out the most to me of all, of all his amazing attributes, and there are, you know, we don't have enough time to talk about everything he's great at, was the first week and a half to two weeks when he kept getting rung up on pitches that were out of the zone or having the, the nastiest pitching at bats in a row, like just perfect dot, dot, hammer, curveball. Like I'm talking like these guys won't have a better three pitch at bat the rest of the season as pitchers. And he's getting, he's striking out, you know, it seems like every time he comes to the plate, but it's like, it's either a ball or literally a perfect pitch. Like there's nothing you can do about it. And he just kept his head up high. was like, it's not a problem. I'll be fine. I know how good I am. I'll be okay. And kind of, kind of, he could have gotten in a funk thinking like the big leagues, man, I can't get a pitch call. These guys are so good. It's it. And he's just like totally patient, knew he would get around to it. And uh, once he stopped getting hosed on, on calls and stopped getting people's perfect pitches, he has just, wow, he's pretty darn impressive. He's pretty darn impressive. Right. I mean, we're lucky as, as just fans of the sport. And I know you're a fan of it as well, but just think of the guys that have come up in the last four or five years, everybody from Acuna to Soto, Tatis, and now him. Like, I think you're going to be able to mention him in the very same breath as those guys if we're not already there. I totally agree. I totally agree. Let's, I think it's fair to those guys to make sure Julio does it for, you know, for the second half as well, because they've, they've earned that right to say I've done it for multiple seasons. But I don't see why Julio won't be in that top 10 player conversation where it's like, yeah, if I had to start, a, if I had to start a team, which of these guys am I taking? And Julio's finishing in that, in that one to seven or eight position. That's, I, you know, he's incredible. I, I've been just extremely impressed with his defense in center field. I thought he was this huge power bat can't play defense, but a little bit like he's not going to steal base it. And I'm, you know, next thing you know, he has 15 stolen bases. He's making diving plays in the outfield. I'm like, I thought you were a power guy. Like, wh- where's that come from? And then the next, you know, then he, you know, hits 10 homers in a month. It's like, oh, oh okay. You just, do, you just wait from month to month to be a speed guy or a power guy. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. I know you gave one up to Soto the other day. And by the way, get in line on that one. Oh. Uh, he's, he's one of my favorite players to watch. Is, is he, is he the best young hitter because of his plate discipline and everything else that comes with it yes. in our sport? Yes. I don't think it's even close. I would say, I wouldn't even say best young hitter. I Maybe give me, you know, he's, he's in the top three, no matter what age of hitter in this league, his ability to not swing at pitches out of the zone and hammer pitches in the zone is, is unbelievable. It's, you know, that's why he's, that's why he's the most coveted player in all of baseball. And, you know, he's, 
He's very good. And I'm just lucky there was nobody on base and we had a two run lead when I had to face him. That's really all it comes down to. And, you know, it, it was, uh, it was one of those things where it's like, well, that's right. I got to get the next three guys and just pretend we had a one run lead and I didn't have to face him. So, uh, yeah, it was better than giving up a cheapy. you know, I didn't, I didn't see it live. I didn't even turn around, but it, you know, I had to see it plenty of times on Instagram after the game. So I, I saw where it landed. Do you hear it? Does it sound different? Yeah. I mean, you heard it, you heard it. I mean, stuff. There weren't, a, there weren't a lot of Nats fans. It was an unscheduled, you know, yeah. doubleheader sort of thing. So you can't, can't give the fans slack. So it wasn't, there weren't that many people. So, you know, it echoed off of echoed off of national Park a little bit. So obviously during your little win winning streak that you guys have had, not so little, I've noticed this winner's circle thing that you guys are doing, and it feels um, kind of like a combination of Little League meets frat boy sort of deal. Who came up with the winner's circle? And it's nice that pitchers get involved because usually you guys are shunned at the celebrations. So JP, JP is the ringleader, of course. You know, he's just, you know, he's just super cool all the time. That's that's JP being cool. You know, usually the pitchers aren't involved. And then Carlos Santana brought brought uh, me and Cal Raleigh in there. And, you know, and then a lot of people, you know, mentioned that it made me look like a dad who's not on TikTok trying to be on TikTok and doesn't have any <laughs> doesn't have any moves, which is very true. That is me. Um, yeah. So I, <laughs> I didn't know what they do because I'm never I'm never a part of it. They do it. You know, they do it all the time. They've done it 11 straight times and they know the rhythm. And I got off rhythm and then, I you know, I couldn't kept couldn't get back in and. Yeah, you know, just one of those things. Yeah. Don't, well, don't take it personally because yeah, you did look a little, a little daddish. Yes. yes. It's okay. We all we all know our limitations. Fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so you guys had a nice little uh, interesting day in Anaheim several weeks ago. Yeah, we did. What? Um, when did you know things were going poorly at, with the fight? Well. It was funny. I was kind of naive to it. You know, Taylor Trammell comes in and was like, well, they're throwing an opener. Like, do you think they would throw an opener to hit somebody? And I, I mean, I was like, no, we, this is a division rival. We play them 12 more times. Like they're not going to hit somebody when we didn't hit anybody. I just, I mean, that blew me away that we were even going to get into that situation. And then it was, it was obvious once they threw behind Julio that that's, that was their intent. And then when they hit Winker, you know, that was, that took it way too far. And, you know, Phil's jawing and Rendon's out there when he's not even supposed to be in the dug. Like the whole thing was ridiculous. And, you know, they did it to try and spark their team. And all it did was spark the Mariners, unfortunately. So um, we appreciate it. And, and, you know, we're rolling now because of it. That was, it was a totally ridiculous situation. Um, no one's throwing at Mike Trout ever. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. He's the, him and Shohei are the most important players in our game to make sure that they're playing. We're not going to hit somebody that everyone needs, you know, in baseball. I, it was, it was ridiculous. So, but when, you know, this one got kind of scary because it starts to spill in toward the dugout. And you, so that gets nasty. Where are you in this whole thing? I was hoping you weren't going to ask. I'm very embarrassed. I, I was inside doing my workout that I do in the first two innings and miss the whole thing. <laughs> so for people who don't know, because of, because of the sign stealing situation, the, the TVs inside the clubhouse are about a minute delayed from what actually happens so that you can't steal signs and, and that sort of thing. So I'm working out the whole thing. 
And that happens. And I'm like, well, what am I doing? And I'm like in shorts. And I realized, well, it's a long jog down to the tunnel yes. from Angel Stadium anyway. I'm a minute behind. Like, what am I even going to do? Like, I can't help anybody. So I sat there and watched the whole thing. And my bullpen mates have made sure that I know that I wasn't in the trenches with the guys. Oh, my God. But it's I get it, dude. It's frustrating. The- I've gotten so many texts like, oh, where were you? I didn't see you in there. It's like, well, you didn't see me because I was in the clubhouse. Yeah, because our producer, Rob, I was like, hey, you've got to find Paul so we can ask him, you know, why he's hanging on to this guy. What are you saying? That guy? He's like, Chris, I can't find him. I was like, what do you mean you can't find him? I mean, there's only there's 50 guys on. Find him. Didn't see me because I wasn't down there. And now I got to get reminded all the time from the boys that I wasn't in the trenches with the guys and they needed me most. But I understand it, too, by the way, if you're if you're a minute behind and you're like wearing a Borat's thong, like I get it. (laughs) I mean, I was just, you know, in t-shirt and shorts working out like I do before every game. And I was like, I cannot believe that I'm not out there with the guy. Like, (laughs) you don't really want to be like everyone that saw it. It got pretty ugly and there's cleats flying and like you catch an elbow behind. Like, you don't really want to be involved in those if you if you can have if you can help it. But when the boys are in it, you know, you got to go in and you got to help. So I'm embarrassed and a little bit ashamed that I wasn't there to help the guys. But, you know, could be worse. Some somebody on their team is injured for the rest of the year because of it. You know, who knows what's going to happen. Right. Um, who gives you the most shit for not being there? Swanson. Swanson. Swanson has no problem giving me shit about everything. Also, I send it right back. But that one, I, there's not. What am I supposed to say? I, I wasn't out there. Wasn't out there with the guys. Yeah. Gotta wasn't wear. out there with the guys. Have you ever had a guy charge you? I have not. I have not. I have. Hit somebody on purpose, but then that was the end of that was the end of that, and then you know, no charging. How'd that happen? No, it happens. In minor leagues, you face a team a bunch of times. They kept hitting guys, and you know, I was the last guy out there, so that had to throw at somebody, hit him, and so that was the message, and that was that. Did you take it upon yourself, or were you told? I was told. I was told, but because it's tough, because you know, you're in the bullpen, and you're not, you know. You're kind of you're watching the game, but like it usually is like a position player thing. You know, it's somebody on their position player, you know, slid hard or, or did something. And so they get hit and then you you throw out their next guy. And so it's like wasn't I wasn't even totally aware that it was like, OK, we you know, this guy's gotten hit three times in the series. It was like, oh, I guess I guess he ha-. in retrospect, I realized I was like, oh, yeah, he has like, OK, we got to hit somebody then. I always. I, I never win this argument. But whether it was my time at MLB Network or just being around the game and guys who I, I love as friends and respect the hell out of them, particularly because I've never set foot on a field competitively. But I've never understood that. The. Like what? I don't know. What does it solve? Like if we didn't have retaliation, you don't you don't think it would stop? I, Yeah, I mean, maybe that maybe just because if you if there's no fear that we could retaliate. You can just continue to do it. And, you know, when you look at the seventies, when guys were just, just tackling second basements, like, right. and then we got into this all the time. Now I'm glad we don't, you know, I'm glad this isn't a regular, you know, monthly occurrence where you have a guy get tackled and then we have to throw it heads. And then, you know, it's, it's better that we don't have that very often, but if you don't retaliate every once in a while, you know, then you get pushed around and you don't want to get pushed around. Like you don't want to be known as the team that, you know, 
will go down without a fight. And, you know, I'm proud of the guys for standing up for a situation that, you know, we felt was ridiculous. Okay. Interesting. I see. I could be swayed. I just, there's I'm no just right fearful. answer. Maybe there's it's no the right, dad. There's and... no right answer. And, I, you know, I wish we could just fight instead of hitting somebody, I'm, you know, hitting somebody with a baseball. is not, you know, it's not ideal. If you're throwing the ball as hard as you can. And, you know, I'm not trying to get anybody hurt, but you just have to be known as the team that's, you know, not going to go down without a fight. See, I wouldn't do well in the, just the, if we just start fighting, I'm 0-3 <laughs> all time in fights. So it's well, I wasn't even out there. So I guess I, I guess I have no room to talk. <laughs> hey, you mentioned Shohei a couple of minutes ago. Can a guy be the MVP in the league when their team stinks? Yes, you still provide the most value. Now, it depends on whether it's the best player award or the most valuable player. Well, what do you call it? You're a major league player. What? How do you see it? Would you vote for him today? I call it the best player award because I think, I think that's what, I think that's what the MVP is. I think the, the letters are whatever, but I think it's the best player award and I would, you'd have to give it to him. He still is the best, like he's an all, he's a Cy Young caliber pitcher and an, and a all-star position player. Like it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, especially the run he's gone on, you know, since pretty much since right before we saw them. I mean, it's just jaw dropping every time. He's must watch TV at all times. It's incredible. How hard is he to get out when he's in the batter's box? Because I got to be honest with you, it looks like from my non-trained eye, it looks like he's all over the place. Like his ass is out. He's sticking the bat out this way. It does, it's not like beautifully fluid all the time. Am I wrong? It doesn't. It's not fluid. It's not. It doesn't look smooth. But then you feel like what am I going to do to this guy? And I'm not going to give, you know, scouting reports away, but it's like, he, <laughs> he mashes, he mashes. And it's like, it doesn't look as pretty. And then it's 118 off the bat. And he's, you know, then he, then he's, you know, sprinting around second for a triple while he's, you know, striking out 10. It's like, I don't even know how I don't, I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's like, I have to spend so much time on my craft being a pitcher how does he have enough time to also be an unreal hitter? Like, how do you have enough hours in the day to do both? I don't, it doesn't make any sense. I think he is the most underappreciated athlete we've got. We don't, everybody, you know, we do a, another podcast called Baseball Today where we do it Monday through Friday. Everybody's like, well, you always talk about him when he's starting. Talk about every, st-. I'm like, because we've never seen anything like him. I, I can only imagine how thankful you must be to be able to compete against a once in a, I'm not talking generation. I'm talking about once in a lifetime player. Yes. Ever. I mean, Babe did it, but like not the way Shohei does it. And it's just, and, and it's way different now. It's way, it would be way harder for anybody to do it now. That's like the craziest part. He, it's like, he's the only person since, you know, 1830 to do anything. It's, it's incredible. Every time he does something, it's unbelievable. Um, I, I mean, and he, you know, there's always that like, well, can he do it for multiple years? Cause he was injured, you know, with the Tommy John surgery and was like, okay, like that's the concern. Like, can he do it? And then, you know, he didn't get off to the best. He didn't get off to his MVP right. start for the first two months of the season. It was like, yeah, you know, it just, it's going to wear on people. And he was like, oh, okay, I'll just strike out, you know, 50 people and not give up a run for like all of June and July. And then I'll start hitting homers too, like every time I come up. 
oh, okay. All right. Yep. It's pretty impressive. He's awesome. Hey, quick reminder, every Monday through Friday, I do baseball today with my man, Trevor Plouffe. We break down the biggest five stories from the world of baseball. Well, you can join us live every weekday at 1130 a.m. Eastern live on the AMP app where you get to chop it up with us. A couple more before we get out of here. Um, <clears throat> your parents are both accountants. Is that accurate? Yep. Yep. So if the baseball thing didn't work out, you were going to be doing balance sheets? Balance sheets. Yep. That was my major at USD was accounting. And I was going to take over my mom's accounting firm um, as she walked out. And luckily, plan A worked out really well. How good How good were you in the accounting world? I wasn't good. So I'm, I'm really glad that plan A worked <laughs> out. I, I was, you know, you have to declare your major, you know, after it was like after your freshman year or after your sophomore year. And, you yeah. know, so I took a couple of accounting the 201 accounting classes and they went, you know, they went really well. And I was like, okay, perfect. Like my parents account, this would be really good. So I declared. Um, and then I got like midway through my junior year and I was like, I'm, I'm very confused. I called my parents and I was like, you know, I'm really not understanding this. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I, I don't understand at all what's going on in class. They're like, well, it shouldn't be that hard. Like, you know, it's just this, this, this. And I was like, yeah, well, it is that hard. So like, what do you think? And they're like, hmm, it's probably not your thing. But I'm like three quarters of the way through school. And I was like, well, I can't change it now. I just got to gotta grind through. So managed to get my degree. And, you know, I'm lucky that I don't, didn't have to use it right away. Good. Do you do your checkbook? No, I don't even do my checkbook anymore. We, yeah. Do you even look at bills? Yes, we look at bills. We look at bills. We pay bills in our in our family, but we don't, I don't. We have a financial advisor that takes care of everything and he's amazing. And yeah. I'm takes thinking. care of all the bills? No, we take we take care of the bills, but okay. we just he takes care of the other stuff. Yeah, see, I get that. I I'm always curious at what financial level do people stop even caring about bills? Like where they don't even look No, at we it. still we still care about bills in the Seoul house. I yeah. I, I mean, we're not there yet. Yeah. I have some teammates that probably don't recognize bills, but we still we still care about bills in our house. Yeah, a Eugenio's probably as he's walking up and down the aisle. Yeah, on the plane. It might not be checking his bills. He's not. He doesn't have an app on his phone that you know is concerned with how much he's spending. No. And and Winker doesn't even know how to download it, so don't worry <laughs> about it. That's my guess. The um, Buffalo guy. You're doing a uh, you're doing a great thing. Strikeouts for kids. And before we get out of here, I want you to share share that with us because I see the little. The heart we do. So yeah. explain what's going on. So my wife, Molly, and I had our daughter, Chloe, last year during the season. Um, and it changed our lives as, as every new parent it does. Um, and, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to give back to Seattle some way. And we were trying to figure out what, you know, what's, what are we super passionate about? What's super important to us? And, and, you know, Chloe is the most important thing to us. So we thought, you know, let's try and help parents that are less fortunate than we are. We, Molly and I are so lucky that we have all the resources in the entire world um, talk about paying bills. We, you know, we don't have to worry about, we can get anything from target. We absolutely want and need mm -hmm. for her. And we don't have to look twice at it. Thank goodness. Uh, there are lots of families that aren't nearly as fortunate as we are. And Eastside baby corner is an organization in the, in the Seattle area that is doing absolutely incredible stuff for new parents. They provide clothing, formula, um, blankets, toys, 
they told us a story that lots of the families that they deal with, the kids don't know their birthday because the parents don't tell them because they can't get them anything for their birthday. So these kids don't even know what their birthday is. Um, and they'll give these kids a, like a birthday package of clothes, toys, the whole thing. And Eastside Baby Corner is just, they're the best in the whole world. So we are super, super excited. Molly and I are pledging that we're going to, we're going to give them $200 for every strikeout that I have this season. Um, and we are encouraging as many people as possible to join us. Um, the best way to do that is to go to my social media pages. I have our pledge at link, um, in my bio of both my Instagram and my Twitter, and anybody can, can pledge what they want. You, you absolutely don't have to pledge as much as we are. That's not the point. The point is just, you know, any dollar you can give helps these people. And, you know, they're so great. They, they, they have counselors at, you know, schools that are very less fortunate will reach out to Eastside baby corner. So these families don't have to do it themselves because every family has, has pride and they don't, you know, they don't want to lose that. And I, I can't blame them, but they have, that's the best part of Eastside baby corners. They have like guardian angels looking out for people who would never ask for help, but need the help. And that's, that's one of the best things that they do. It's awesome. We'll put the link in, in the description here. Help awesome. you out because I think awesome. it's, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Excellent. Excellent work. I'm really, really proud of you and your wife. And I think it's a wonderful Testament to, uh, to you having a, baby girl in this world which is really thank cool. you so much we appreciate before it. we get out of here i'm going to spin the wheel of moderately interesting things do not be fearful i'm not very smart the questions aren't very difficult <laughs> kind of like you in accounting class exactly exactly barely get by yes oh well we kind of discussed that a little bit with grade a which was how good a student were you you went to bishop gorman in las vegas didn't i see that bishop gorman high school let's go All i right. went to when i went there we were down in the ghetto not so great area of las vegas in the old school that was 50 years old now they have that brand new campus that you see on espn every 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 fall when they do a game there that's uh that's not me i'm i'm i like i like to be i like to be part of the humble group at the old school that was falling apart uh, okay how did you do in high school what was your grade point uh four i have four one in high school so i was smart in high school then I went to a really good college thinking, you know, I'm smart. I can handle this. And, and USG humbled me very quickly. But I had an academic scholarship and kept it the whole time I was there. And that's all that matters. Whoa, you academic? So I didn't have an athletic scholarship. That's part of the problem with, you know, baseball's 11.7 scholarships and from NCAA is that it's very hard to feel the team with the, that amount of scholarships. So you have to figure out how to be creative. And, and so Coach Hill and Coach Johnson got me an academic scholarship at the school instead of an athletic one. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's paying less money to go to the best school in the country. So I had an academic scholarship that I had to keep a 3-0 the whole time I was there. Um, and then I, I finished the 299, but I kept it for what I had. I kept it for the entire time I was there. But senior, senior spring finished the 299. Wait, that was, that was the finish? That was the finish. You walked with a 299? Walked with a 299. Couldn't hold on to the three, but at least I kept the scholarship. See, now that's great when we're talking ERA. You're like, absolutely, I'll take a 299 instead of a three. But you want the three. You want to, somebody couldn't have rounded up? All I had to do was get one extra from a minus to a regular or a regular to a plus or a plus to a minus. That's all one class, and I'd have gotten it. So I do have to live with that. Whether I use my degree or not, I'll have to live with that forever. In the uh, in the accounting world, we can't call that a rounding error or something. No rounding error, absolutely no rounding at USD. Apparently, man, tough, tough. That's like being stuck on like um, nine hundred ninety nine strikeouts in yes. your career. 
Yes. It's a dagger. It was a dagger. I was, I was pretty disappointed when I saw that, you know, then I realized that I was graduating and it didn't matter. And, you know, but yeah, I'll have to live with that forever. Yeah. Well, we're not going to, we're not going to end this conversation on a downer like that. That's okay. okay. You still, you, you've done just fine. Keep winning your cute little um, casino games that you and flex and play at the front of the plane. Perfect. You know, the JV card game, if you will, the JV card game. Exactly. Exactly. Well, listen, man, I appreciate the time. It was great getting to know you. This was an easy conversation to have and continued success. You guys have been a blast to watch. Well, I appreciate it. I've always been a fan, Chris, and I appreciate you asking me and, and I appreciate talking up my guys. We've, uh, we've been quite on, we've been on quite the roll and it's fun. Yeah. And, you know, um, we're going to finish here in Texas strong, take a couple of days to relax and, you know, second half will be here in no time. You going to Vegas. No, my wife and I are going up to Whistler. My aunt and uncle that live in Seattle have a place in Whistler. So we're going to stop by Vancouver. My daughter is an aquarium like fiend. It's her favorite thing in the whole world. So we're going to go to the Vancouver Aquarium and then we'll head up to Whistler and relax for a few days and then come back. Beautiful. God, it's for people that have never been to that part of the country. Get it, up there. You know, it is. It's awfully rainy and cold up there for a while. But when you get to the summer, it, there's nowhere better in the entire country. And then yeah, July you know, Whistler is Whistler's fantastic. Well, stay healthy and uh, keep dominating and um, continue to look like a dad during the celebration. It's fine. We all got to wear a roll. I'm not going to I'm not going to gain any rhythm anytime soon. So um, the longer the win streak, the more you know people can make fun of my dance moves. <laughs> you and me both, brother. You and me, bro. Thanks, uh, a special shout out to our producer extraordinaire, the one and only Robbie Scirocco and our summer intern, Sam Singer, as well. Paul, best of luck the rest of the season. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We will see you next time here on the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media.